What's up, everybody? Welcome back to the Building Efficiency Podcast presented by Nenny and Associates. I'm your host, Jim Schaefer. Now, if this is your first time tuning in, Nenny and Associates is an executive search firm focused on the building efficiency industry. That's why we named the podcast the way that we did. And simply put, we help our clients find the right talent. And each week, we sit down with leaders from the industry to discuss their backgrounds, how they got started, and where they see the industry heading. We also get to know our guests and find out what drives them to be successful. And on today's episode, episode 35, we sit down with Charlie Dom, who is the Managing Director at Alturas. Charlie walks us through how he got started in the industry, and we discuss how Alturas is going to market today as it relates to this energy as a service model, this concept we keep hearing a lot about, and also just overall capital deployment for energy infrastructure upgrades. You'll, of course, want to stick around until the end to hear what his daily non-negotiables are and what he wants his lasting legacy to be. Now, if you haven't done so already, be sure to subscribe to our channel and consider downloading this episode and future episodes. This is the only way that we can track how many people are actually listening. So if you're one of those people who are streaming the episodes, I would uh, hope you consider hitting that download button instead. And if you're enjoying this episode, please share it and leave a five-star review. Now, we think you're going to enjoy this conversation between Charlie and I. So let's drop in. Hey everyone, welcome back to the Building Efficiency Podcast. Today we're sitting down with Charlie Dom, who is a managing director at Alturas. Charlie, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me, Jim. Good to be here. Yeah, of course. I'm glad we're able to uh, to make some time and, uh, and make this happen with both of our schedules here. So before we launch into Alturas and what you guys are doing today in, in the marketplace, could you give our audience just a, a brief background and, and kind of how you got started and, and where you came from? Yeah, absolutely. Um, so I got my start uh, post-college in uh, a brief stint in private equity and venture capital in a family office, and, and pretty quickly from there pivoted into renewable energy development. Uh, we did large-scale renewable development in the solar space and in the wind space, primarily wind in the early years, morphing into solar uh, as that became a more competitive resource. Um, from, from that, uh, I gained a lot of really great experience there, learned a lot. Uh, moved into join the folks that I work with now at Alturas uh, in their prior venture, a company called Altinex. Uh, we were doing advisory services for the Fortune 1000 for large off-scale renewable energy power purchase agreements uh, and on-site power purchase agreements as well. Uh, spent uh, spent a number of years there at Altinex uh, prior to prior to getting our start here at Alturas. So I jumped ahead a little bit. I want to rewind the clock just uh, just briefly. Um, you know, where where did you go to school, and then how, what interested you about this whole industry, the energy renewable finance world, in the first place? That's Let's a rewind question. the clock a little bit. I went, sure, that's a good question. I, I went to school in St. Louis at Washington University. Uh, I grew up in Cincinnati, Ohio, and in, in Minneapolis, Minnesota. Split. And really, the only thing I knew about energy and renewable energy prior to getting into it was all of the wind turbines that I had started to see in uh, the the very early 2000s on my drive between Minneapolis and St. Louis, going to and from school. So I I just saw them and thought, hey, those are cool. And that was sort of end of story. And um, coming out of college, joined, like I said, uh, a family office that was in the investment business. Uh, and, and the gentleman who ran that office had uh, a fair amount of farmland in southwest Minnesota where wind was a very abundant resource and wind energy development was starting down there. 
and that was how we got into that business. So I ended up in the space almost by accident. I think the other reason was that we had sort of a two-pronged focus in that office. One was uh, one was very heavy in the investment piece of the business, and I just wasn't that good at that as it compared to wind development. So I, I sort of naturally migrated over to wind. And uh, so in short, it was a bit of an accident, but I've spent my entire career since in the energy space in, in various different uh, roles and verticals of the business. And it's, it's a fascinating business. There's so many dynamics. There's so many different factors that go into decision-making. Uh, there's so many market variables. Uh, and there's so many different ways to, uh, to approach and plan, you know, for businesses, for utilities, for end users, that I think it's just a really dynamic, interesting space. Yeah, we've had uh, almost 30 guests now on the podcast. And you're the first one to bring up wind. So I'm kind of curious. We, we don't operate, you know, on our side of the desk, we don't operate in, in wind too much, right? Our, our clients typically don't. Um, so what, what would you say are like some of the, the barriers? Why don't we see wind technology more like in the traditional ESCO world or ESCO space? What are your thoughts on that? So wind, wind I don't think is, is all that, uh, necessarily relevant to the traditional engineering service company space, primarily because it's not a really great on-site resource. So it's long-term, right? I keep hearing that the, the return on investment is, is a really long, long-term there, right? The, the, the return on investment is a longer term. I think more than anything, though, candidly, for it to be a competitive resource, you need space and you need scale. So throwing up one wind turbine on site for let's say a manufacturing company or a municipality or a school system it works don't get me wrong it's hard to scale and it's hard sometimes to manage that as a resource because of the intermittency if it's tied directly to a facility as compared to tied to the broader grid and can be managed within uh, an iso uh, amongst other resources coal nuclear natural gas solar storage etc so uh, wind is a phenomenal piece of the puzzle, and it, it is most competitive when it's done at scale and, frankly, where, where the wind blows strongest. And that's not often next to uh, the types of facilities that, that we at Alturos are now focused on uh, on helping our customers upgrade. Makes sense. No, I was curious. I just wanted to, wanted to pick your brain on that, so I appreciate that, uh, that insight. So, yeah, you brought us up to present day. You're at Alturas. It looks like Alturas, relatively new organization, but I know you've been in this space for a while. So could you just give us a, a little bit of a background on Alturas, who you guys are, and, and just how you're going to market today? Sure, I'd be glad to. So at Alturas, what we're focused on is uh, providing strategic infrastructure advisory, energy and management, comprehensive project finance services to the Fortune 1000. So our world of customers is direct to the Fortune 1000 end users and also working with engineering service company partners to help them better serve the energy as a service financing programs uh, and capital needs of their customers. And um, the reason that we got into this space, I, I had mentioned a prior company where we focused on offsite power purchase agreements. When we were often in those conversations with the energy managers and the finance folks at those companies, they were interested in those initiatives. And they, at the same time, were saying, hey, we have a number of on-site projects we're looking at or facility infrastructure upgrades or energy efficiency projects that are good projects. 
that save us money, that pencil in our minds, but we're having trouble getting CapEx budget to implement these programs and these projects. And on top of that, we're having trouble getting getting sort of um, a, a long runway into knowing what our CapEx budget is so that we can strategically plan around what we need to do. Can you guys do anything there? And, you know, at the time we couldn't, and that was, that was not a focus of our business. Um, but that timed with capital leases being moved to on balance sheet at the beginning of 2019 led to uh, a very opportunistic time to enter this side of the business. And I say opportunistic for us at, at Alturas, but I think even more so opportunistic for our customers because there are so many new technologies out there and so many, so many different um, different organizations, no matter what vertical they're in, it could be retail, it could be manufacturing, it could be uh, multifamily housing. You know, investment in infrastructure has lagged. Uh, it is generally it's a decent return, but it's not an incredibly interesting return. And so these organizations, rightfully so, have often dedicated their own capex budgets towards higher return initiatives. What's unique and interesting about right now is that these companies have an opportunity to use outside capital from Alturas, our focus is to help our customers use our capital and leverage us as an enabler to build a long-term strategic plan to fund and implement these upgrades at the facilities. Uh, they save money, they reduce their GHG emissions, it helps them meet any sustainability targets or goals that have been set forth for them. Uh, and frankly, it increases the resiliency and the operational competitive, competitiveness of their facilities as well. Um, you know, I was just reading an article yesterday in the Wall Street Journal about uh, the optimism around the U.S. manufacturing sector and our increasing competitiveness uh, globally. And, you know, I hope that's true. I would love to be a big part of that. I'd love to have Alturas help the manufacturing sector, amongst others, become more competitive globally. I think that'd be fantastic. Yeah, I think that's a that's a win all the way around. So uh, I would I would agree with you on that. So let's talk energy as a service. So that's a term that we've been hearing a lot just in the industry, and 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 I think it means something a little bit different to everybody who hears that. And then you start hearing all these other terms. There's uh, water as a service, lighting as a service. Um, we hear about steam as a service, right? All these different energy conservation measures are getting looped into this or grouped into this as a service model. So Charlie, what I'd like to do is maybe just can you break it down, like what it means for you at Alturas or what it means to Alturas, the energy as a service model? And then, you know, if you could break it down to like its simplest form, let's say somebody's listening to this that's never heard energy as a service before, you know, how would you best explain that in like a, in a really simple format? That's a great question. We've seen that as we've, as we've sort of continued to scale in the business, there's so many different definitions interpretations, opinions, et cetera, of what energy as a service means. I think breaking it down in its simplest form, it is a way for an end user to procure whatever it is. You mentioned steam, you mentioned lighting, you mentioned energy. It is a way for an end user to procure that service with someone else's capital at scale. So they can take the need for lighting. You're providing, uh, you're providing lumens, steam. You're providing steam, electricity. You're providing electricity. Uh, there are shared energy savings agreements where 
you know, you take a portion of the savings and you share that back with the customer. That's one approach. Um, you know, a PPA for a rooftop solar facility or a PPA for a cogeneration plant is energy as a service in a very simple form as well. So I think I'm doing a very bad job of answering your question, Jim, which was no, break it it's, down. It's, it's, it's but, good. It's good. But I think, you know, what, what I would like to leave your listeners with from an impression standpoint is that it's very flexible and it is something that can be done and applied to really anything in and around your building envelope that, that you would like to see done and, and provided to you on a more turnkey basis. So there's an, you know, an incredibly increasing world of opportunity for, for the end user and uh, corporations are used to perform procuring other things, you know, as a service, there's software as a service, you know, I would, I would argue that almost all of the IT, uh, most of our customers use is procured as a service. They procure, um, you know, different fuels, different inputs for their facilities for manufacturing and things like that, that can be done as a service as well. So this is an increasing drive towards uh, operational excellence and cost efficiency for, for the end user. Yeah, and I always I always looked at it like it removes the objection from the customer saying, "Hey, we don't have that in the budget." Right? When you when a, when someone presents them with an energy retrofit project, whether it's lighting or HVAC or a turnkey energy retrofit, the first objection you oftentimes hear no matter who you're communicating with, "Oh, we don't have that in the budget. Call me next quarter, call me next year." I mean, this essentially removes that objection. You have an alternative solution for that, correct? In, in a very simple form. I know you can go into a lot more layers there, but yeah, well, you, you did about a 1,000 times better job of explaining it than I did, which is embarrassing considering I do this for a living. You're in the weeds. Um, you're, you're in right. the weeds. You're, you're, no, you're right. Um, you know, so what our goal at Alturas is is not to come in and suggest a solution to you, to say, Jim, at your company, you need to do X. Our solution is to come in to learn about what you are trying to accomplish, to learn about your goals, to learn about your long-term plans, your needs, your stress points, and, and then to, to help you build out a programmatic approach to solving those issues at your facilities with our capital uh, and to doing it in a way that is sort of identifying opportunities, but also really optimizing the investment uh, in the long-term strategic rollout of that investment that, that will be inevitably a mixture of our capital and your own CapEx as well. You know, there are, there are certain projects, there are certain pieces of equipment that our customers will 100% want to invest in and own themselves. And what we can help them do is build that plan and optimize their approach. So we are not sort of a single solutions provider. We are not, uh, we are not, you know, specific in what we will recommend. We're more agnostic and, and we're very consultative in what we like to learn about with our customers, what their needs are and how we can help them optimize their facilities and save the most money uh, that's available to them. Yeah, providing a, a customized approach that 100% makes sense. So what I wanted to do here was just maybe take a, take a step back for a second and look at where you see the industry heading. Now, you can approach this from like a financing standpoint, from Alturas, how you guys are going to attack the market, or maybe from a particular technology or solution. So Charlie, as, as you uh, look into your crystal ball, where do you see the industry heading over the next, call it five or 10 years? 
I see that the industry heading into a more understood and accepted approach here around the fact that you can leverage and use third-party capital, quote, as a service to help you enable these these upgrades and these initiatives that are very valuable. So, and when I say the industry, I don't mean simply companies like Alturas. I mean the entire world of engineering service companies, solutions providers, providers to the engineering service companies and solutions providers, et cetera. This whole ecosystem that we're excited to be a part of here, I think can help the end users do very good things for their businesses. One thing that that we've seen starting to take hold and, and play into the different conversations that we're having is the the investor pull through in ESG goals and sustainability goals and emissions reductions and things like that. And and I think that those are having some those are driving additional conversations that we weren't having as recently as even 18 months ago. Organizations coming to us and saying, our CFO is mandating that we put ESG and emissions reductions plans in place because Wall Street is demanding that of them to invest in our stock. And so that is driving this movement that, in my opinion, is is a good movement for the businesses. And I think sort of the unintended consequence is these these businesses, as a result of investing in themselves and their infrastructure, will become much more competitive, much more resilient, and and long-term, much more profitable because of this movement. So I think that I think that while initially they might have looked at that as a bit of an annoyance, I think the long-term effect on these businesses as a whole is going to be a very positive one. In a follow-up to that, if you don't have an answer for this, uh, that's that's perfectly fine. I, I'm just curious as you look at like energy conservation measures. Let's let's look at it from cogeneration, you know, combined heat and power. Maybe it's uh, energy storage. Maybe it's some particular lighting technology or HVAC or indoor air quality. As you look at it from like a technology lens, is there anything that you're seeing today that like, hey, this is where I think the future's heading from like a particular energy conservation measure that your clients are looking to invest in? It's a good question. I don't have a direct that's, answer. That's, that's and, fair. And then, I just was thinking of off, off the top here. No, the, the reason I don't have a direct answer is because it's, it's, everything is so unique to where you're located and, and what the different variables are. This is back to an earlier comment I made about the, the, the way that the energy market is so dynamic. But you know, if you're in California, you've got a very different operating reality than if you're in Tennessee. You know, if you're in California, the hot, hot topic right now, microgrids. How can right. you build resiliency? How can you protect yourself right. from some of these weather-forced outages that don't seem to be going away? So resiliency, microgrids, et cetera, huge topic there. But you know, in, in other parts of the country where you might have a three, three cent per kilowatt hour electricity rate, the types of projects that are going to be more attractive from an investment standpoint look very different. And then there might be other operational realities of, of business A versus business B that drives certain moves uh, in one direction or the other. So there's not a, there's not a silver bullet, you know, and, that, and that's part of, part of why I like the Alturas approach is it is not, you know, we're vendor agnostic, we're solution agnostic, we're here to help you evaluate your needs and implement, you know, your specific needs. Yeah, that, that makes sense and, and that's a good answer. So I'm all I'm all good with that. 
So let's uh, let's transition to the uh, the last part of the show here. The same four questions that I ask to, to every guest who comes on. And I wanted to start off here and ask you, Charlie, what are your daily non-negotiables? It's a good question. And I knew that question was coming, having listened to some of your other, your other uh, folks. So thank you for the warning. Uh, and it actually forced me to think a little bit. So I, I, I wrote a couple down here. And I think this year has been unique and interesting for a million different reasons for everyone that's listening to this, I'm sure. I think for me, um, I've got a few non-negotiables. I think one is to be very present to my family. I've got a wonderful wife and three small kids. And, you know, seeing the, trying to see the world through their eyes and learn what's important to them and uh, just be present for them, right? We've, we've all got busy work lives and a lot of other variables that go through our heads you know, it's important for me to try to pay attention uh, and be there for, for my family. And, you know, my parents did a fantastic job of that for me. Uh, and so I'd like to be able to, I'd like to be able to do the same for my family. I think another thing that is, is pretty important to me and kind of clears my headspace is exercise. So I try to, uh, try to make that a, a pretty regular part of my routine. Uh, another thing that I've tried to get better at over the years, and I've had my, uh, back to my parents, my dad's been a really good coach in this regard for me is uh, working to be less selfish. Um, and what I mean by that is, you know, I, I guess probably not uncommon, but I tend to get very focused on myself and what my thoughts are and what I think I need to do and want and realize that there's a lot of other people with uh, other goals, other objectives, other troubles, and the world's a bigger place than just me. And so I'm trying to get better at that. I got a long way to go, but that's something else I've been trying to work on this year. That's excellent. And let's rewind the clock again to 22 year old Charlie. You're graduating from college. You're in, I don't know, what did you mention? You're in Minnesota at this point, or where, where are you located at 22? So in 20, at 22, I was coming out of college in St. Louis and moved Louis. to Minnesota, okay. to Minneapolis here to take my, take my first job. Um, <laughs> I think the, the easiest, shortest answer is buy Tesla, right? You know, if it's not Tesla, it's buy Amazon. Buy Amazon. I've heard, I've heard the Amazon one. Uh, yeah, on that question. Li li live in a box and put every penny you make into one of those stocks and just don't do anything. Um, that's the that's the simple sort of haha one. I think um, some of the more serious pieces of advice I would give myself is uh, don't sweat the small stuff. You know, I I am. Uh, a worrier by nature. I'm a fairly uptight guy and I'd love to go back and tell my 22 year old self that some of the stuff I used to stress about matters literally zero. And, and all the time I spent worrying about it was a waste. I think the other thing that, that would be, uh, would be fun to tell myself is I, I probably should have gone out and seen the world a little bit more uh, or a lot more, quite frankly, when it was easier for me to do, you know, before I had, um, uh, more more responsibilities in my life so those are just a couple simple little ones yeah and what motivates you what gets you out of bed in the morning um a handful of things i think you know i, I want to have I, I want to be able to provide for my family uh i want to be able to have a high opinion of myself i want to know that you know when i look in the mirror i, I did everything that i could to do the best i could in the situation i was in uh, and to make the most of it. Um, and frankly, a fear, a fear of failure, you know, there's, I've, I've had a, a couple difficult 
things in, in my life, nothing too major, you know, as compared to a lot of, a lot of other things, but uh, it's not a good feeling. I don't like that. And then, and when it happens, you know, I, I always try to grow from it. And I certainly never want to repeat those things. So I think that, that, that sort of fear always sort of lives in the back of you and keeps you moving and keeps you going. And, you know, from a, in a business standpoint, you know, when, when you're, when you're out there chasing customer opportunities or chasing deals, uh, one of the worst things is when you see someone else got that deal or got that customer, you know, it's just a terrible feeling. And I don't like that. So I, I try to try to stay ahead of that as best I can. Yeah. Fear is a funny emotion. It can be a paralyzer or an accelerator, right? So it sounds like you're, you're using it uh, as a, as a non-licensed clinical psychologist, it sounds like you're using it the right way. Well, uh, yeah, I mean, I've been lucky at it. That's, that's my biggest fear. I think I'm a pretty lucky guy. So I'm, I'm joking because my, my wife is getting her PhD in clinical psychology. And if she heard me giving any sort of advice around emotion, she'd probably come in here and, and slap me. But uh, let's. Uh, well, she, she could probably unwind us all. She could probably unwind us all and it'd be pretty interesting. Yes. Yeah. So I, I wanted to close out here. And uh, last question What do you want your lasting legacy to be? I, I want to know that I was a great father and husband for, for my family. Um, my parents were there for me as I was growing up. My dad uh, worked his butt off, traveled all the time, but never really felt like he was gone because when he was home, he was there and he, he was a part of things. And, and that's always stuck with me as, as a guy who, you know, prior to this year used to travel quite a bit. So uh, I just want to know that I was a good father and that I, that I gave my family all I could give them to help them start their own lives as they, you know, grow and, and become independent. Uh, I'd also like to have, have been known as a good friend, you know, as you get a little older, your circle shrinks, but, but gets filled in my opinion with higher quality friendships. And that's been, that's been fun to, uh, to experience as I've gotten a little bit older. So beyond that, I think those are sort of my two, my two focuses at the moment from a legacy standpoint. I think that's a perfect way to, to wrap up the show here. So Charlie, thanks for coming on. Thanks for the time. My pleasure. Thanks for having us be a part of this. I appreciate it. You got it. All right, there you have it. Episode 35 with Charlie Dom. I hope everyone enjoyed this episode as much as I did. And if you did enjoy it, please be sure to subscribe to our channel wherever you enjoy listening to your favorite podcast. Now, we hope you're sharing this with your friends and colleagues as well. And one last thing that I would ask, if you have any future guests in mind from the industry, please reach out to me. We'd love to hear from you loyal listeners. So until next time, I'm Jim Schaefer, and we'll catch you on the next episode.